0: Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets, sports, and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of This is the Jet Life. Can you believe we just finished week 15 of the NFL season and there are only two weeks left? Well, for the Jets, that is. We found ourselves mathematically eliminated from the playoffs some time ago, playing for nothing more than bragging rights and to find those little glimpses of hope we can cling on to until next season begins. But for the past few weeks, we've actually been finding it. Even though Gang Green wasn't able to come out with its second consecutive win this week at home against the Texans, there's still much to be encouraged by, specifically the play of our future star quarterback, Sam Darnold some growth from our playmakers, and a fury of pass rushers. For the first time in a while, this fan base has been inspired by something more than just hypotheticals. There's been plenty of reason to cheer, and cheer we will, because this 4-10 and football team is about to become so much more than many had ever thought possible. But more on that later in this episode. First, I need to remind you to rate, subscribe, review this podcast anywhere you listen to it, on top of Spotify, GangreenNation.com, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, All the other streaming services, this podcast will soon be available under Pandora's new podcast tab as well. That's right, coming to Pandora. Just remember, even though this podcast is called This is the Jet Life, it falls under the Papa podcast called Nation Podcast. If you're looking for bonus coverage throughout the week, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. It is wild over there. We're talking engagement out the wazoo. Aside from that, this episode is going to be structured way it basically always is, we're going to start with an AFC East check-in, do some NFL news and notes, a little what's on tap, Jets first Texans recap and team stats, player performances, players of the game, and then a preview of next week's game. Lots to get into, so let's do it. We'll start with the AFC East check-in, keeping our enemies close. The Jets came into this week with the worst record in the AFC East, tied with the Buffalo Bills at 4-9. Now, the Jets lost to the Texans 22-29, to as we already know, so they go to four and ten. The Bills, on the other hand, they find a way to win at home versus the Lions, fourteen to thirteen. So the Bills have improved to five and nine, leaving the Jets in sole possession of last place yet again this year. Josh Allen had a pretty good game. Was able to do some nice things, especially late. Had a nice forty-two yard connection to Foster. Won the game. Uh, it was great growth from them. And you know they couldn't beat us, but they could beat the Lions. We also beat the Lions. Let's not give them too much credit over there. Then you got the Dolphins. They came into this game 7-6 and six looking for a playoff spot, right? They're trying to get to that 8-6 and six record, stay in the hunt, try to get a wild card berth, and you know, if things go out of control for the Patriots, hint, hint, possibly even play for the division. But unfortunately the Dolphins come out in this one against the Vikings in Minnesota and lose 41-17. to It's unfortunate for them. We don't really care. We don't want the Dolphins to make it. Um, they got absolutely shellacked. 41 points. And this is the Vikings week after firing offensive coordinator John Filippo. We talked about this a lot last week. He was a guy that was potentially a coaching candidate for the New York Jets. Him being fired, replaced. I mean, instantly, Mike Zimmer, we knew he wanted to go to a running game. They did run the ball better in this one. But they absolutely pounded the Dolphins all game, 41-17, basically ruining the hopes for the Dolphins of making the playoffs because there are a lot of teams that are ahead of them now for that wild card race. And unless a sort of miracle happens, it probably ain't going to happen. They also have a two-game uh, deficit to the New England Patriots, and it's a real bummer because the Patriots also lost this week, and the Dolphins actually could have played for the division had they won. The Patriots lose 10-17 to in Pittsburgh, and for those of you who watched it, it was an awesome game. Also, for those of you who didn't watch it, it was amazing. Um, mostly because the Patriots lost and Tom Brady wasn't able to do too much successfully in this game. There were opportunities at the very end of the game. Um, Tom Brady threw a a bad interception about the five yard line of Joe Hayden. And then later on at the game had the 20 yard line and had basically four chances to throw for a touchdown with like under a minute to go. Something that he's so used to doing in his career, especially against a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tom Brady throws, throws incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. It's fourth and 15. He's got one more chance to throw it and he's getting rushed. I believe it was TJ Watt or One of the edge rushers on the left side for the Steelers. They get close enough to Tom Brady without even touching him that on a fourth and 15 with the entire game on the line, possibly a bye week he throws the ball incomplete and falls over as he's throwing in fear of getting hit he crumples to the ground without any contact and throws a bad ball because of it and honestly his fear of getting hit in this game is what created a bad throw and possibly is the reason that they lost and you're seeing more and more of that from Tom Brady as time goes on here he's not as confident as he once was he's not the young guy that he once was and age is starting to catch up to him a little bit these are games that he would normally win I mean, they haven't lost back-to-back December games since 2002. They have basically haven't lost five games in the past, what, two years before this? They were already 9-5 and five this year. The best they can possibly do is 11-5, and five, and that's not that good a record for the New England Patriots. Not what they're used to year after year. You know, that's a good sign for the New York Jets and the other teams in this AFC East. Now, we don't want the Dolphins to make the playoffs, but had they won this game and been one game back from the Patriots there actually would have been a chance that Dolphins could make it over New England, and that would have been awesome. Even though we don't want Dolphins to make it, still better than the Patriots getting there. And the Jets play the Patriots next week. I mean, who knows? If we play them the way that we just played the Texans, get a couple other things go our way, maybe get a takeaway or two, some special teams play, who knows? Maybe the Jets can come away with a win. It would be absolutely awesome, but we'll see more on that later. For now, the Patriots dropped to that 9 and 5 record and they find themselves in a clear third place for the uh for the playoff picture at least standing wise. I mean, they they don't have as many wins as the Chargers, Chiefs, or Texans, but uh you know, the Chargers and Chiefs being the same division, one of them is going to be a wild card, so the Patriots are looking at that third ranking spot. Unfortunately, for them, only the top two teams get a first round bye, and if it, the season ends today or the Texans continue to win, the Patriots are going to be looking at playing a week 1 matchup, which is something they're not really used to doing. And even if they win that one, it's going to be a road playoffs for them for basically the rest of the way, or at least one would imagine. All right, so that is our AFC East check-in. Getting into some NFL news and notes. The big news right now for everyone is playoffs. There's not a ton of huge headlines and storylines coming out. You know, coaches will be fired in the upcoming weeks and things the season comes to an end. But right now, teams are just kind of clinging on. Some players are going to the IR. You're seeing Carson Wentz. Who knows? He may not be... uh, he may not be playing again this year, and that's actually a crazy, interesting story because when you look at the playoff picture going over to the NFC side, you've got the Saints, Rams, and Bears. They're all going to make the playoffs. Then you got the Cowboys, who are just holding on with that 8-6 and six record. They're winning the division right now in the NFC East. The Seahawks are your first wildcard team at 8-6, and six, and then the Vikings are your next playoff team at 7-6-1. and one. They only hold a half-game lead over actually both the Eagles and Redskins. And so basically the Eagles are potentially playing for a playoff spot, not only for a wild card, but they could also be playing for the division since they're only a game back from the Cowboys. Now, you know, we've got two weeks left, so anything can happen still, as long as you're within those two games, but with Carson Wentz not playing, Nick Foles fills in and they play the Los Angeles Rams, one of the best teams in the AFC, and they win. So, again, for the second year in a row, Carson Wentz gets injured late in the season. Nick Foles comes in, and all of a sudden, Nick Foles is playing this crazy good football. There is a real scenario that Nick Foles propels this team into the playoffs, and then he's there for another playoff run, and who knows what he can do. He did it last year. I mean, he beat the Patriots. He won game after game in the playoffs as the backup. Now, the Eagles haven't put Carson Wentz on IR yet because they want to save him just in case they do make the playoffs. So it puts them in an interesting sort of quandary. Say they do make the playoffs playing under Nick Foles, and all of a sudden, Carson Wentz is healthy. Who do you play week one of the playoffs? The guy that just got you to the playoffs and won the Super Bowl last year? Or the player that was injured, banged up, and, you know, when he was playing, didn't garner you that playoff spot? I think it could be a, uh, a crazy, interesting story for the rest of the way. So those are some of the teams that we're going to watch. And then in the AFC, you know, you got your Chiefs, you've got the Chargers, the Patriots, the Steelers, and the. Texans as your top teams, you got a bunch of teams fighting for those wild card spots, those being the Tennessee Titans, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Baltimore Ravens. Only one of those three teams is going to make it. The Dolphins are one game behind them, but they're probably out of it at this point, honestly. So, between those Ravens, Colts, and Titans, one of them may make it. And supposing the Ravens dethrone the Steelers for first place in the division, you know, it's possible that could happen, and uh, then the Steelers would be fighting with the other two teams. For that last wild card spot. But lots to get into for this rest of the NFL season. I know the Jets aren't part of the playoff picture, so it's not quite as interesting as it usually is, but still, it's NFL playoffs. It's as good as it gets. Um, and, you know, just being a fan of the game, it's hard not to enjoy watching it. Not a ton of other NFL news and notes I really want to get into this week. Uh, one thing the Saints had a wide receiver do a uh, little trick play running towards the end zone, fumbled the ball out of the uh, back of the end zone last night, almost lost the game on an Austin safarian Jenkins type play, but because Cam Newton had maybe the worst game of his entire career, uh, this, the Saints still came out with a win against the Carolina Panthers, and Cam Newton made a bunch of excuses, says that he's injured all these things, what we're used to. I think it's time to kind of be grateful for the fact that we have a guy like Sam Darnold who doesn't make any negative headlines literally ever. He just says the right thing all the time, holds himself in a very mature, confident way, and... You know, he doesn't give the press anything to write about. Cam Newton, there's already all these things flaring up about the way he handled the press conference. Was he being, uh, was he making excuses? Is he actually injured? Why is he playing so poorly? Yada, yada. Um, So luckily we don't have to deal with that. something that we kind of take for granted as Jets fans as we go through this whole thing because Sam Darnold, he doesn't ever say anything, right? He's just always a good guy, composed and whatnot. Nah, there's plenty of Jay Cutlers, Cam Newtons, and Mark Sanchez trying to make uh, headlines when you don't want them. One other thing I want to get into, one team that's looking incredibly impressive right now is the Los Angeles Chargers. And the reason I think that's interesting is because they have an offensive coordinator, Ken Wisenhunt, who could potentially be a head coaching candidate for the New York Jets next season. Now, Ken Wisenhunt does have a track record of being an NFL coach, and a lot of people are kind of groaning, saying, Oh, not Ken Wisenhunt. Why him? He doesn't have a great track record. Let's go over it real quick. Ken Wisenhunt, only 56 years old, definitely not too old to be a head coach. He played in the NFL, he started as a tight end, or finished as a tight end as well, but he started in Atlanta, he played there from like 85 to 88, then he played two seasons with the Redskins, played two seasons with the Jets, so that's kind of cool, um, then he ended up becoming a tight ends coach of the Steelers, moved to the Steelers offensive coordinator, and then eventually got hired as the Arizona head coach in 2007. In 2009, Ken Wisenhunt made the Super Bowl, lost to the Steelers, and then he finished up a couple more years in Arizona as the head coach. I think he finished in uh, like 2013, and so he did play in a Super Bowl. He was extremely successful there for a team in the Arizona Cardinals that had been pretty bad for a very long time. They'd never really had successful seasons, never made a Super Bowl, and that was an impressive, you know, performance for him to come and be able to do that. His tenure there finished with a 45 and 51 record from 2007 to 2012, and then he went on to Tennessee to be the head coach and. It was not good going there. He had a terrible record. He went like two and fourteen and then one and fifteen or something like that. He ended up three and twenty actually before getting fired. So he didn't finish that second season. And that was a mess. So overall his head coaching record is forty-eight and seventy-one. Yeah, I know you're hearing, ah, that's not very good. But after failing in Tennessee, he got a head an offensive coordinator job again, he went to the Chargers. And he started there in 2016, and he's been there since then, through two head coaches. You know, he's now working with Anthony Lynn. And those Chargers have a really good offense. If you've watched them play, they use the running backs well. They've got a, a Melvin Gordon, and then they've got, you know, Austin Eckler. They kind of go back and forth with the one-two punch there, a receiving guy and a, a bit of a more of a grinder. They've got a bunch of different wide receivers. That they always get active. They've got tight ends. I mean, I know Hunter Henry's not playing this year, but he was finding great success last year. Antonio Gates came back. He's finding success. They just always find a way to get it done. And I know Phillip Rivers is really, really great. You can't discount what he does. But that offense has been successful. For the past three years, Ken Wisenhunt's been the guy behind that. And he did have a good run in Arizona. He did make a Super Bowl with a team that hadn't been good for a very long time. He's offensive-minded. And there's only so many candidates that you can trust to come in here and do a job like this. Maybe you don't trust him, but he's got a resume. He's got a pedigree. He's doing well right now. He's offensive-minded. He's been a head coach before. And he's made a Super Bowl. I mean, that's enough on his resume to make you at least look his direction. He should be on the New York Jets shortlist for guys to hire. And... I'm not sure if he'd want to come. He may have a good thing going in San Diego right now, or Los Angeles, rather. He may love it over there, but if the Jets can, they should bring him in for an interview and see what he's got. He's only 56 years old. He's still bringing another offensive coordinator to work with him, but it could potentially be a very good fit. And we don't know what the market's going to look like. There's a lot of teams that are going to be looking for OCs, a lot of teams looking for head coaches. So just keep that name in mind as we move forward. And watch the Chargers. See if you like their offense. You know, I said that a couple weeks ago. I was like, you know, watch those Vikings. See if you like D. Filippo, because he could be a head coach. We watched it. We hated it. We don't want him. New guy. On to the next. Ken Wisenhunt. See what you think. All right. So enough of NFL news and notes. Let's get into that awesome New York Jets versus Houston Texans game. Before we get into New York Jets versus Houston Texans, we got to make a quick pit stop at the cooler and do a little what's on tap. That's right. It's what's on tap. What's on tap, the section where I go over the beer that I'm currently drinking for this episode, and I picked a fun one today. It's called Baby Seal Dance Party. Baby Seal Dance Party. Ridiculous. Yes, it's made by Shabine Brewing in Wilkett Connecticut. It is a galaxy dry-hopped IPA brewed with lactose, and the can is as much fun as you'd think it would be. It is a couple, uh, couple of seals on a dance floor with a disco ball going crazy, some bright colors, and... I know it's ridiculous, right? It's made by Shabin, but I talked to the people at the brewery there because it's in Connecticut uh, local. And I said, you know, Baby Seal Dance Party, that's pretty funny because it's kind of like clubbing baby seals. And apparently that was what the original name was supposed to be. It was supposed to be clubbing baby seals with a picture of baby seals dancing. And then, uh, you know, but your mind would go to that darker place of a a hammer matching a seal over the head. But instead, they uh, got told they couldn't make that their can title, so they switched it over to Baby Seal Dance Party, and uh, yeah, that's what it is now. Still having fun with it. It's pretty good. I've had it before, and Shabin is definitely not my favorite brewery, uh, the location or the beers that they make. This is probably one of their best. It's still a little bitter, still a little dark for my IPA liking. Um, Brewed with lactose, it just gets a little bit thicker and creamier than it needs to be. It's not super thick, it's not, you know, like drinking a stout or anything like that, but it just uh, doesn't need to be there. It could be a little bit smoother, maybe a little lighter without that in it. Also, if you're lactose intolerant, that's probably a pain in the butt. But uh, who knows, maybe they use real seal milk in it, which would be nice, you know, true to the name. But it's a solid beer. It's a uh, see 6.9% alcohol, so I guess it's got a little bit of a kick. Maybe I should slow down on it since i got a lot of episode to go. We're only like 16 minutes in here. But it was a gift for my birthday over the uh, the past week. I got a bunch of crazy stuff. Baby Seal Dance Party was one of them. I appreciate the gift, and, you know, I'll enjoy it for this episode. If you see it, I think it's a better story for the name and the can than it is for the beer. But uh, definitely pretty fun. All right, so that was What's On Tap. Time to go over to the Jets versus Texans game where the Jets lost this one at home 22-29 to versus the Houston Texans on a Saturday game at 4.30. And for those of us who watched it, hopefully it's everybody, this was one of the more exciting games of the entire season, and we didn't expect it to be. The Texans are one of the better teams in the entire AFC. They were on a super hot streak midway through the season. They had a nine-game winning streak, I think it was. And... There's no question the Jets were not supposed to win this game. The Texans have the fifth-ranked defense in the league. They've got one of the best receivers in the entire league. They've got Deshaun Watson, a good running game. Everything about this team, a good head coach, Bill O'Brien's awesome. Um, Everything about this team was just set to beat the New York Jets. But the Jets, with Sam Darnold back from injury, they made this one extremely close. In fact, they almost won this game, and they played better than the Texans the entire way through. When I go through the team stats, you're going to be like, wow, it's almost everything in Jets' favor. There's just a few big major categories the Jets couldn't win, and that's what gave the Texans the advantage in this one. It was a very, very fun game to watch. I was going crazy. Sam Darnold looked amazing. The Jets, you know... They didn't come out with the win, and for some people, they're excited by that. Uh, Word on the street is the New York Jets will now be drafting third overall if the season were to end today because the 49ers won, and apparently with the strength schedule, they're going to be ahead of the New York Jets, or later, however you want to look at it. They'd be drafting fourth, the Jets drafting third. So for some people, it's exciting to draft in that position. But what I got out of this game was just, you know, being there at the end. After what we did against Buffalo, you know, we have been so bad with Josh McCown, 0-3. Really looking bad. The offense was even worse, and it had looked all season long with Sam Darnold. When Sam Darnold came back, you know, it was exciting at first because it was, all right, it's Darnold versus Allen. This is what we've been waiting for. But Sam Darnold came out, and he played great. But then this week, you're coming in, you're like, all right, coming back from this thing, maybe sitting for those three weeks, maybe he learned a lot. He was able to kind of take a step back, reflect, and see. He came out this week and was even better than last week. This is maybe his best game of the entire season. And, you know, I don't want to go too crazy here, but wait until you hear this stat. They made a new quarter, you know, they got a quarterback rating they've had for forever that goes like from 37 to like 152 or whatever, 158.3 I think it goes up to. And they made a new one called Total QBR that takes into account all the other things like, you know, when the game's on the line, how well you do, um, decision making, you know, third and longs, whether or not you're just doing dink and dunk passes. It's supposed to be just a much more advanced metric, and it hasn't really caught on entirely yet because it's kind of confusing. You've got a total QBR and a quarterback rating, People don't really know which one is which, but in the newer one, total QBR, Sam Donald this week against the Texans finished first in total QBR in the entire NFL. He had an 87 total QBR. The only other quarterback over an 80 was uh, Matt Stafford. Everybody else was under 70. You got Brady was like under a 50. The Jets were playing the fifth best defense in the league in terms of points per game. I said it before as well um, that they were fifth. That's in terms of points per game this season. And Sam Darnold has the best total QBR in the entire league? After what he did last week? With these weapons? No Quincy Newton today. You know, you're, you're playing a, an Andre Roberts. You're playing a Jermaine Curse who's basically done nothing all season long in those positions. It's Robbie Anderson. It's You don't have Isaiah Cruel or Bilal Powell for this one, so you're playing two Young backup running backs, you're playing these fringe wide receivers who none of them are a one. You don't know if any of them are going to be on a roster next year. Your tight end, Chris Herndon, he's been fine, but everybody else not there. Still, we're playing three receiver sets. We're playing a fullback that's an offensive lineman way more than we should. Our offensive line has been dinged up, moving pieces there, and still, Sam Darnold finds a way to play amazing football, keep us in this game, go on a game-winning drive potentially at the end. I mean, our defense wasn't able to hold up basically because of DeAndre Hopkins but almost a game-winning drive at the end. And, you know, special teams hurt us a little bit, missed a couple extra points, um, but that wasn't the difference in the game. We just really couldn't stop DeAndre Hopkins. The guy had 10 catches for 170 yards. He led the entire NFL in receiving yards this week, and he was an absolute monster. I think it uh, begs the question in terms of DeAndre Hopkins or Nook. He nicknamed Nook by his mother because it was the only pacifier that he would use as a baby, allegedly. Do we believe her? Probably. It's his mom. He is probably maybe the most gifted wide receiver in the entire NFL. And I say that because time and time again, people compare, you know, Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, who's the best. Maybe a thrown Odell Beckham Jr. And everyone has DeAndre Hopkins up there, but usually not in that conversation of like the best or second best. And when you watch DeAndre Hopkins play, I mean, us feeling it Saturday firsthand, that guy's absolutely incredible. He's strong. He's fast. He can run routes well. He catches everything. He's got super strong hands. The guy is an absolute freak, and you're talking about a guy like Julio Jones, who's been playing with Matt Ryan his whole career, a potential Hall of Fame quarterback. He's got the resume for it in terms of yardage, you know, compared to his age and everything. We'll see if he ends up getting into it. I don't think he should at this point. Whatever. Matt Ryan, one of the elite quarterbacks of the NFL. You got Antonio Brown. He's playing with Ben Roethlisberger his whole career, one of the elite quarterbacks of the NFL. Even Odo Beckham Jr. is playing with Eli Manning, and some people are thinking that Eli Manning could be a Hall of Fame quarterback. And then you look over at DeAndre Hopkins, and he spent time playing with guys like Case Keenum, playing with Brian Fitzpatrick and Ryan Mallets and Tom Savage. Now he's got Deshaun Watson. I mean, the whole thing. He finds success over and over again because he's just that good. He doesn't have a Juju Smith-Schuster or even a Muhammad Sanu on the other side. He's got DeAndre Carter. Who? That's the other receiver over there? I mean, the guy is an absolute machine. And we couldn't stop him. He was targeted 11 times, had 10 catches for 170 yards, and that really was the difference in the game. We had too many penalties, turnover, whatever. If we could stop DeAndre Hopkins in this one, if anyone could stop him, who knows? Maybe we would have been able to do it. But it wasn't anything wrong with the way Sam Darnold played. He was absolutely perfect. He was making crazy throws. He's improvising. When you see him moving on the field, that's when Sam Darnold is at his best. No question. When he's... In a situation, thinking quicker, usually like the no huddles and stuff where it's a little bit more, you know, read and react rather than plan something strategically, think about it, pre-huddle, maybe do an audible. When he just fires up there, gets to the line and does what he does, even if the pocket breaks down, he's got pretty good mobility. You saw him run a few times this week for like 35 yards. He moves around the pocket last week. You know, the week prior to against Buffalo, he does that crazy play where he runs all over the field, loops back, finds Robbie Anderson in the end zone. This week, he does another similar play where he goes across, loops back, comes to the middle, and before crossing the line of scrimmage, somehow he knew exactly where it was. He jumps up in the air and fires it into Robbie right in the end zone. I mean, what the heck is this guy doing? It's unbelievable. He had no interceptions this week, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Let me give you a quick stat on Sam Darnold over the past few weeks. Sam Darnold, 423 pass yards. In the past two weeks, since coming back from his injury. You know, he played Bills, he played Texans. Two very good defense, mind you. He's got 423 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception, 65% completion percentage, 45 rushing yards. He's only been sacked three times. The Houston Texans came into this game, and after this game, still, have the most sacks in the entire NFL. Against Buffalo and Houston, he was only sacked three times total. All came against Houston, but still. And he's got one game-winning drive in there. He almost had another in this game. I mean, he came back, and we had an opportunity to win this game if defense could hold. It was everything you could hope for when you're looking at the future of this team. You know, you don't have a lot of pieces on the team. You're losing a bunch of players that are on the roster right now. But some of the guys that you're going to have, Sam Darnold, boom, a lot of eggs in his basket. Jamal Adams, a lot of eggs in his basket. And both of them playing absolutely awesome. You couldn't be happier with the pieces that you have moving forward. Do you wish you had more of them? Yeah. Do you wish you hit on a ton more draft picks over the past three, four years? Absolutely. We don't have very many. We may be losing more after this season. We don't know what the situation with Darren Lee is going to be or Leonard Williams. But when you look at this whole thing, Sam Darnold is the piece I want to move forward with on offense. And on defense, why not build around a guy like Jamal Adams, a guy with that kind of energy and electricity that backs it up week after week? Who doesn't want to play with him? He's not a punk about it. He's not a jerk. You know, he says things, sometimes he says things that maybe he shouldn't say, but he never really gets in trouble or or creates too much bad press because he's not a bad guy. He's not a super selfish player. He just wants to win. He's super passionate. Sometimes he doesn't think everything out. He doesn't try to answer everything diplomatically and, you know, well, we'll take a look back and I'm not going to give you any answers today. He says what he feels, and, you know, you don't want it in your quarterback, but for your strong safety on defense, the cornerstone of this defense, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. As long as it doesn't get out of hand moving forward, there's probably going to be some more tough times ahead, some big losses. But, uh, you know, we got good pieces moving forward. We don't know who's going to be coaching, you know, leading the helm of this thing. But you got to think that candidates are going to be looking at this team right now, especially with Sam Darnold's playing at the end of this week, uh, you know, the end of this year, just being like, wow, that's the kind of guy that I would like to ride the coattail of. You know? What would Belichick be without Tom Brady? He'd have the resume that he had in Cleveland. You know, what would Mike Tomlin be without Ben Roethlisberger? What would Tom Coughlin have been without Eli Manning? We don't know. All these guys are riding great quarterbacks. That's what you want to be a part of. Great quarterback wins with great coach. You can look back at all the epic coaches from the old days. They all had great quarterbacks. It goes hand in hand. And who wouldn't want to link up with Sam Darnold at this point in his career, 21 years old? Whew. I'll be the coach for crying out loud. They, uh, They don't want me. I reached out. But yeah, so... Really, really encouraging from that side of things. Jets lose this one 22-29 against the Texans. Let's go over some of the team stats in this one. You're going to notice it's going to be overwhelmingly in the favor of the New York Jets. First downs, Texans have 15, Jets have 21. Passing first downs, the Texans do have 12, the Jets have 11. Very close. But rushing first downs, they have 1, we have 7. Third down efficiency, the Texans are 1 for 9. The New York Jets are 9-for-17. Time and time again, Sam Darnold is converting. And it's not just 3rd and 10s like we're so used to week after week. They're throwing more on early downs. They're picking up yardage. They're, uh, they're finding a way to get, you know, 3rd and 3s, 3rd and 4s, 3rd and manageables, really. And they're having success on them. 9-for-17 in this game. 4th down efficiency, Texans didn't have any attempts. Jets were 1-for-3. Total plays. Texans ran 51, Jets ran 72. Total yards: Texans had 286. The Jets had 318. So far, you're thinking, "What the heck? This is all Jets." A couple stats for the uh, Texans here: yards per play, they had 5.6. Jets 4.4. The actual passing yardage itself, you know, 239 yards for the Texans, 228 for the Jets. That's not how many yards the quarterbacks threw for. That's how many passing yards you have after you deduct the amount of yards that you lost getting sacked. You know, completions for attempts, Texans. Twenty two for twenty eight. Very efficient for Deshaun Watson. Sam Darnold and the Jets, twenty-four for thirty eight. Now at the end of this game, Sam Darnold had a few chances late in the game, with, you know, obviously not very many weapons. The Texans either in a deep prevent covering everybody or sending the house, blitzing Sam Darnold, and he was given, you know, kind of a bad hand. So he throw the ball, try to find a way to win when everybody knows you're gonna throw it. You don't have many timeouts, you gotta get it done, do or die. And he throws a bunch of incompletes at the end of the game, which definitely lowered his stats a little bit, but you know, such as football. That's how it goes. Yards per pass, Jets only 5.6. Not terrible, but, you know, it's it's lower numbers. The Texans had 7.0. So they were winning those categories right in there, right? Their yards per play and their, you know, completion percentage, that sort of thing. But then when you go down to it, sacks, the Jets had six sacks for 55 yards lost. The Texans lost 55 yards. The Jets were only sacked three times. Sam Darnold lost 25 yards on those. So we beat them there. Rushing the ball. Texans had 47 rushing yards. Jets had 90. Basically doubled them there. They rushed the ball only 17 times. We rushed 31 times. Both yards per rush for both teams were terrible. 2.8 and 2.9. Jets had the slight edge, I guess. But 2.9 still nowhere near acceptable for what we're trying to do. And then when you talk about the red zone, the Texans came out of it 1 for 4 in the red zone. The New York Jets came out of this game 3 for 4 in the red zone. What? This team in the red zone with Eli McGuire as your lead back and Andre Roberts and Jermaine Curse and Robbie Anderson as your main wide receivers. Behind this offensive line with this offensive coordinator, Sam Darnold goes three for four. Absolutely impressive. So again, it's like, well, what the heck is going on here? The Jets are dominating them. Time of possession. Jets, 35 minutes. Texans, 24. But the big ones, penalties. Texans only had five. The Jets had nine. Turnovers? Texans didn't have a single turnover. The Jets did. Eli McGuire fumbled a ball. J.J. Watt somehow just by touching the body of Eli McGuire, the ball went flying. Eli McGuire loses the ball. Texans get easy points that way. That's the big one when it gets down to it. You're talking about completion percentage, turnovers, and penalties. And those are basically the sole reasons that the Texans won this game. That and DeAndre Hopkins being an absolute monster. I mean, we put multiple people on him. It was Morris Claiborne. It was Trumaine Johnson. You know, we, we changed safeties midway through the game. We went from Daryl Roberts because he shouldn't be playing safety to begin with to, like, Rontez Miles. Maybe he's got one last gas effort to try to, you know, be something in the NFL. Neither one works out. Nook goes off. Uh, they win this thing. But when you look at those stats, it's like, geez, 21 first downs to 15. The time of possession and the passing yards and the rushing yards and all that. The sacks that the Jets got. We played a heck of a game through and through and you're talking about a great football team. You're talking about a 10-4 and football team right now. Not some you know, lame team that you're playing against. Not, you're not talking about beating the Lions up. Yeah, good the Bills beat the Lions. We're playing the freaking, you know, creme de la creme AFC East super team. Right? They had a 9 game winning streak. Sky's the limit for these guys. Maybe they're not as high and mighty right now as the Chargers and Chiefs. But for crying out loud, you gotta give them a chance in one of those games. They've got playmakers all across the field. Defensive line, linebackers, secondary. They got wide receiver, they got running backs, they've got quarterback, you know. Anyways, we just we played well. It's just it's hard not to be excited by a game like this. Because you're going into this game and Nobody gave the Jets a chance. We were six-and-a-half-point favorites. I mean, they did win by seven. We were six-and-a-half-point underdogs. The Texans won by seven. So they basically covered the spread there. Um, but nobody thought the Jets were going to win this. In a prime-time game, they were going to be able to do something like this, and Sam Darn leads the league in total QBR? I'm, I'm getting carried away with all this. i got to move on to other things. But uh, just super awesome, and it was like the best loss I've ever seen. I had a big group of people over for the game, too, and it's always nerve-wracking when you invite a lot of people over to watch because you're like, if the Jets suck, it's a really, really bad look on me. I do a freaking podcast on this thing. Clearly, I'm a crazy diehard fan, and everyone, like, looks at me when they suck, just like, ooh, damn, nice going. Luckily, everyone was, like, fired up, like, holy moly, you guys are freaking getting good, huh? Even some non-Jets fans in there. You know, you had some Giants fans, Broncos, even Patriots fans. It's like, you got some stuff going on. So uh, that definitely felt good. All right, let's go over to some player performances. I talked a little bit about some of the guys already, but let's get into the statistical numbers of what these bros did today. We're going to start with the quarterback of Sam Darnold. 24 for 38, 253 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Yeah, great numbers. We've talked about him plenty, so let's move on. Eli McGuire gets the start because Isaiah Crowell is injured. Isaiah Crowell goes to IR. It becomes one of those scenarios where, like, Isaiah Crowell, we don't need him to win games this year because winning isn't super important. He's somewhat banged up. So rather than having him like, you know, if you're injured for two, three weeks in the regular season, midway through, you just hold on. All right, he'll be back next week. He'll be back the next week. This late in the season, he's probably not going to come back healthy. It's probably better off just not playing him again. So why not put him on IR and free up a roster spot to bring in somebody else? They bring in someone like Carlos Henderson, another running back who's been bouncing, you know, up and down off the practice squad all year for the Jets. Used to be a Bronco. He didn't get any carries or anything in this game, but he's a guy the Jets are looking at and just gives you another opportunity to evaluate some talent. Fortunately, it means that we're not going to watch Isaiah Crowell play for the New York Jets this year. Um, not again. He had a pretty pretty solid year. You know, statistically he had some really nice runs, a couple of really good games, but... Uh, his season for us is over. He will be back next year. He is one of the players under contract. But Eli McGuire takes over in this game. He gets 18 carries, only 42 yards. Now that's a pretty bad average when you look at it. When you take out his longest run of 14 yards, he had 17 rushes for 28 yards. Now that's bad numbers. Eli McGuire is a guy that he sometimes has these flashes where he looks really good. My dad always says he, he looks like a a light version of Ladanian Tomlinson, the way he's got a skill set. He can catch pretty well, he can block, he's got pretty good stiff arms, he hits the holes nicely, just the style of play that he has. It is somewhat reminiscent of LaDainian Tomlinson. Obviously nowhere near that good. But Elon Maguire, he still finds consistency issues. He's not able to string it together play after play, get chunks of yardage, 5 here, 5 there, 5 there. It seems like every once in a while he gets a 6-7 yard run. It looks really nice when he does it, but then he gets beaten at the line, beaten at the line a couple times again. Think it's some vision issues. He's got to work through that. Hopefully that'll come as he plays more. He missed most of this season. He was a rookie last season playing behind Bilal Powell and Matt Forte, so he's not gotten a ton of looks. Maybe eventually as the offensive line gets better too, keep in mind, it's not like Bilal Powell or Isaiah Crowell really lighten up the box score in the running game. Crowell did a couple times. We were definitely doing better, but the offensive line run blocking has been poor all year. You're not seeing huge holes the way you're seeing them for other teams be made. So he did, have, uh, he did have a touchdown in this game, though, Eli did. That was one of the cool plays. At the very end of the game, the Jets needed to score. It was like five minutes to go or so. Eli McGuire gets a handoff on a, a second-and-goal, I believe it was, from about the five-yard line, and he gets met right at the line, and the entire offensive line pushes him, blasts forward through the entire defensive line, the linebackers, everything. The Jets just push that pile five yards until Eli McGuire gets in the end zone. It was freaking awesome. It was one of those plays where you're just up cheering like, oh, my gosh, they're going to go. Push, push. And he gets there, and it happens. And that late in the game where you take the lead, you're just like, oh, my God, this is incredible. This might be happening right now. And, uh, And that was a great team play. But other than that, the holes just weren't there. You look at Trenton Cannon, the other running back, he's getting some carries here and there. Seven carries for 13 yards. Take out his long of eight. He had six carries for five yards. I mean, just not great games from either of them. We're not expecting it because our offensive line isn't creating the holes, but these guys also aren't getting it done on their own. It wasn't happening for Isaiah Cruel, but every once in a while he would bust a big one. And I think that, uh, you know, you saw the inconsistencies from Cruel all season, but as you watch the year go on with McGuire and Cannon and how they're finding these consistency issues, the same ones, but they're not finding those same big breakaway plays, I think you got to give a little bit more credit to Isaiah Cruel than I was giving him earlier in the year. Kind of seeing it a little bit more now, and uh, luckily we'll be getting him back next year may bring in some more talent at the running back position as well to compete. Then when you talk about the rest of the running game, the only other guy that ran the ball was Sam Darnold, six times for 35 yards. He showed some crafty footwork, some nimbly legs, and uh, picked up a couple nice first downs, a couple third down conversions, got outside once, made it out of bounds. He wasn't hit too much. He's sliding well. He's reading the field, and sometimes you got to take what the defense gives you. It's important for a quarterback like Sam Darnold, especially a young guy, to be able to move and... uh, you know, get that yardage when it's available. Moving over to the receiving game. Your receiver of the week in this one, Robbie Anderson, 7 catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown. He was 7 catches on 11 targets. So not even a terrible conversion rate. Considering a game you don't have a Quincy Nunwa, you know, Trell Pryor's been gone for forever, your next best weapon in this one is going to be like Andre Roberts and Jermaine Curse. It's just... Really not much for the defense to guard. This is a good Texans defense with good players out there. Kareem Jackson, Jonathan Joseph, Tyron Matthew, they got players. They can match up pretty well, especially against these receivers. That's why they've been one of the best defenses in the league all year. But Robbie Anderson finds himself a nice game. And what's so impressive about Robbie is these last couple weeks, he's shown so much more than just being a vertical threat. You know, I've always given him a bunch of grief that he runs straight. He's got strong hands, but he's good at running deep and catching a deep ball. And if he's not doing that, he's not finding success. You know, he fumbles the ball, he doesn't run crisp routes, he doesn't have a very extensive route tree, and he's not been trusted in those situations. But recently, especially with, you know, the lack of other playmakers on offense, Sam Darnold's been throwing in the ball on third and manageables, third and three, third and four, little curl routes, little slants, quick patterns, chucking him into Robbie, and with tight coverage, he's making the catch time and time again. I mean, he did have a drop at the end of the game that would have been amazing if he held on in this one, but seeing him change his route tree like that, become more versatile is just the perfect time for him to show growth. He's about to be a restricted free agent where the Jets will be able to make a bid for him. No matter what, regardless of what other offers he gets, they can always try to take him back. And if he keeps to grow like this, continue showing it, building some chemistry with Sam Darnold, you know, two touchdowns in the last couple weeks, both in the red zone. Robbie Anderson's not a guy that you think of being a red zone threat. He's a guy that if he's scoring, it's probably going to be from 40 plus yards out. But recently, 5-yard line, 10-yard line. Robbie Anderson's finding a way to get open. Sam Darnold buying time in the pocket. Robbie quicker than the guy that's covering him. Eventually that guy's going to lose that battle if the play extends for long enough, and he's showing it. Great third down conversions. Great strong hands from Robbie Anderson in this one. His seven catches for 96 yards can't be, uh, yeah, they can't be discounted too much. It was a really good game, and it's part of the reason that Sam Darnold had so much success. Your other receivers, Andre Roberts. He had three catches for 16 yards. Nothing crazy. He's a special teamer who really shouldn't be playing wide receiver to begin with. Had Quincy Nunez been there, he wouldn't have. But those three catches for 16 yards, minimal, sure, maybe you think. He had a touchdown, a beautiful touchdown, on a very nicely thrown ball by Sam Darnold, where only Andre Roberts could catch it. And, you know, over 30 years old, Andre Roberts, he's not had a ton of chances with this offense. Um, You know, he had some chances early in his career playing wide receiver, but still, for the amount of time that he's played, not that many. And uh, this was a great moment for him. He's found success in special teams for us a year, all year long. Punt return and kick return. But now seeing him get this, it was a great play. Really nice throw from Sam Darnold. And, uh, you know, decent contribution when he was called on in this one. He's just never going to be your number two, three, probably even four wide receiver for the rest of his career. But when he's called on, you know, to get that touchdown is nice. The only other wide receiver really was active in this game, Jermaine curse He had five targets in this game, only two catches for nine yards. There were a couple throws that looked like he was dogging it, a couple plays where it looked like he didn't even try to get his hands back to catch one, especially on a deep ball. And Jermaine curse I don't know what's going on, but this guy's not playing the way that he played last year. For some reason, he looks uninspired. He looks kind of lethargic. He looks aged and slow. And, you know, he was a guy that I thought if he played like he did last year, he's maybe one of those veterans that you bring in and bring back for next year because he's a guy that you know shows up and plays. He's a constant contributor. He's a uh, reliable guy who always does his job right. You can trust him. But not this year, honestly. What do you really think you're going to get more from? Think about it honestly. Jermaine curse what he's given you this year? Or Ardarius Stewart? How much worse is Ardarius Stewart than what we're seeing from Jermaine curse Jermaine curse hasn't put together a good game all season. I mean, maybe Ardarius Stewart wouldn't either, but he'd be cheaper. You could keep him on the contract you know, that rookie contract, I'm not saying I miss our Darius Stewart. I'm just saying that that's the kind of play that we're getting from Jermaine curse right now, which just really makes you wonder, you know, what they're going to do next year, because that's a guy that they're probably going to have to replace straight up. And then Rashard Matthews, he had a catch for seven yards in this game. You always kind of forget that he's on the team because he's never really been pushed in. He gets like that one weird catch a game where you're like, who's 82. Oh yeah. Rashard Matthews, we got him. Is he ever going to be good? And then he just disappears again. Um, so he got involved in it. When you go over to tight ends, your leading tight end, go figure, the boy, Chris Herndon, rookie out of Miami. He had three catches for 53 yards. He had a couple of really nice catches. One for a first down where the defensive player hit him right in the back squares. He caught that thing and he held on. Another nice one where Sam Darnold extended the play. Chris Herndon slipped out after, you know, stopping in the zone. The defender tries to come up, make a play, and then he slips back, makes a nice catch. Sam Darnold sees him nicely. Chris Herndon was active. Only three catches, but those 53 yards were big, and he was your second leading receiver in terms of yardage on this team. Your other tight ends, Eric Tomlinson had his uh, typical, you know, he used to get that tight end screen, it seemed like, once a game. He probably hasn't gotten it, like, the last four or five games. Maybe only caught it three times this year. One catch for 11 yards on one of those tight end screens when they forget about him. And Jordan Leggett, he's been getting basically one catch a game this year as well, a guy that I've always made fun of because he's been so lazy and poor for us since his entire Time of being a New York Jet, but you know, he still finds a way to find a to show himself in the box score once a week with that eight yards or ten yards, whatever he gets. Um, he's still not playing great, but uh, he's playing better than Eric Tomlinson, I think, and Neil Sterling is disappeared. Right, when you go over to the offensive line, it's not a game you're going to write home about um, in terms of the running game because they couldn't really get the lanes open. We only had 90 rushing yards in those 31 attempts, and that's for a 2.9 yard per carry average. So the lanes weren't there. You got Jonathan Harrison still playing center. Spencer Long has basically given that up for the entire season. Spencer Long now playing left guard in placing uh, James Carpenter, who's on IR. Spencer Long. He's playing all right. I definitely 100% think that Spencer Long is playing a much better left guard than he ever played as a center for the New York Jets, aside from maybe week one. He had trouble there at center, but right now he's looking somewhat competent at left guard. I definitely think that he's a player that you can replace, but I don't think that he's, you know, an F or a D type left guard. I think he's in that C-plus range right now, and potentially next year if you sure up some other pieces, he could, you know, up his game maybe to that B-B. minus And, you know, like I've said all year, we're not going to have a team full of A's across the board on the offensive line. But the, the idea is not to have a team full of C pluses. It's to, in between your your C plus or whatever players, just to have a couple A's or B pluses in there that really up the game of other players. When you had a Nick Mangold and DeBrickashaw Ferguson, whoever was playing left guard always had an easier job because you had two of the best on either side of you. You don't have to be amazing to play that left guard position. You just have to be a solid player. And so we'll see. I think that Spencer Long has proven that he can play left guard, just not that he can do it at an extremely high level without more pieces around him. Now making $7 million a year or so next year, we'll see if Mike McKagan is able to find somebody maybe for uh, a little bit cheaper or somebody who can maybe bring a little bit more skill to the position. Now you had your right tackle in this game, Brandon Shell. He got carted off the field and replaced with Brent Qualley. Now Qualley's been on the team for a long time. We don't have a ton of hope for him. He's just a role player, and he came in, didn't play a terrible game, you know, keep in mind, Sam Darnold was only sacked three times in the entire game by a team that leads the entire NFL in sacks. So nobody had terrible coverage. Um, the penalties were still no good. You know, the team as a whole, you got to clear that stuff up. But hopefully Brandon Shell is going to be all right. We'll see if he'll play again for the rest of the year. Just like Isaiah Crowell, if he's nicked up, banged up, don't expect him to play for the rest of the season. I don't want Sam Darnold to get hit. So obviously you're talking about the insurance of having a good right tackle. Um, it is pretty important. The offensive line needs to be sure and stout so that he doesn't get walloped and injured or lose any sort of confidence in this hot streak that he's on right now he needs to carry this into next year but still brandon shell is probably going to be our starting right tackle because he played pretty well this year and uh you know there's a very good chance he'll be back next year if he's healthy so got to make sure that he is rest of the offensive line you know it was decent pass protection as it always this is the story all year long. I don't know how many times I can go over it. They get penalties. They're somewhat sloppy at times. They don't make running lanes and they don't give up a ton of pressure quarterback hits on Sam Darnold. That's the good side of the whole thing is he's not getting hit a ton and that was a big thing for him is he's learning. He doesn't see the the defenses that he's playing against as quickly as he will later in his career. When he becomes a veteran, he'll see this stuff so much faster, smoother. Right now, there's some learning curves and, you know, having a good offensive line at least to keep him upright for the most part definitely is going to pay dividends in the long run. Just moving forward, we're going to have to have more of a running game if we want to start winning games, and you know we're going to still have to have that pass pro as well. Now the defense. I'm going to do this a little bit different than I usually do. I usually start defensive line, go linebackers, go position by position, but I'm going to go through the players just as I feel necessary, and just go over the ones that deserve mention, because I don't think that every single player deserves to be you know, talked about We don't have to talk about Nathan Shepard because he had one tackle. It's just becoming a moot point and he's not doing enough to get engaged. He did have a stuff in this game. It was a good play, but, you know, that's beside the point. Um, so let's start with this. The Jets were getting sacks like crazy in this game. They got six. Now, the Texans are the second most sacked team in the entire league. I believe the only team that's been sacked more is the Cowboys. It's Dak Prescott. And I think third place is Eli Manning because he goes down like a ragdoll these days. The Texans get sacked all the time. I think they gave up five sacks to the Colts last week. Or, again, they gave up five, yeah, to the Colts last week. The Jets got six this week. Three of those came from Henry Anderson. This is a guy that's had a blocked kick in the past two games before this. And then this week he comes out with three sacks to get him to six on the year, which is second on the team. Jamal Adams, he is a sack in this one. Comes flying up the middle. What an awesome play. And you got Brandon Copeland, who's been pretty quietly doing a pretty good job i think he plays better than josh martin played the position last year and i kind of like brandon copeland he's been a flyer he's played around the league for some time but he's a guy that i trust out there and he does make plays he makes himself his presence felt and i like him he had another sack jordan jenkins he had another sack as well he leads the team right now with seven now the new york just have 34 sacks on the year of those 34 sacks the most is seven by any one player And 12 players on this team have registered half a sack or more. That's more than the entire starting lineup. You know, you start 11 guys on defense, we've got 12 guys with half a sack or more. Now, sure, some bench guys do have sacks in there, guys that aren't typically labeled starters. But that's really impressive for the New York Jets. I know that everybody wants them to be a 40-sack team, which they are on pace to be right about there. Everyone wants them to be a 40-sack team with, you know, a couple... 12-sack guys, 13-sack guys. It's flashy. It's great. I want it, too. I'd love to have a guy in this team that gets 15 sacks, 16 sacks. But if you're getting 40 sacks, it doesn't really matter where it's coming from. Now it would be better to get 50 sacks. You know, the Texans have 52 sacks right now. It's crazy numbers but a modest 40-45, the Jets spread the wealth, and you don't know where it's coming from. Todd Bowles has always been like this. He dials up a number of different blitzes, defensive schemes, where it's not just one guy. You're not relying on, okay, this guy's got to get the sacks, and if you can shut out Von Miller like the Jets did, they don't get much pressure when you play against the Broncos. It's one guy. Okay, watch Von Miller. He's the guy you got to watch. You stop him, boom, game plans like that. The New York Jets, you don't know if it's going to be Henry Anderson, Jordan Jenkins, Brandon Copeland, Frankie Luvu. I mean, there are a number of guys that are getting back there. And it's happened all year. And even though it's not flashy, doesn't look great. None of these guys are superstars at the position or anything. They have a pretty good collective unit. And Todd Bowles' defense has found success all year in generating a pass rush when really with this defense, you wouldn't think you'd have any at all. You probably came into this year thinking the Jets would be bottom five in the league in sacks. It's not the case. We've actually given up less sacks than we've gotten on opposing quarterbacks. So that's pretty impressive. Now one thing the Jets didn't get in this game was any takeaways? No fumble recoveries, no forced fumbles, no interceptions, none of that. We had a plethora of quarterback hits, again. Second time in a row, we had double-digit quarterback hits, 10. Henry Anderson had four. Jamal Adams had the one. Copeland had one. Leonard Williams had one. Frankie Louvo had one. Jordan Jenkins had two. I mean, 10 quarterback hits on Deshaun Watson. That was super important for the Jets, and that's why they were one for nine on third down, and that's what kept the Jets in the game. When you're 1-for-9 on third down, the Jets are bringing pressure, and they're finding a way to get to Deshaun Watson and get back there when they're putting up the pressure. I mean, they're going 1-for-9 on third downs and super successful. The Texans didn't run well against the Jets at all. The Jets basically shut down the run game for the entire thing. Lamar Miller got injured early on and didn't play for the rest of the game, so they're playing with basically just Alfred Blue. And then Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson broke a big 24-yarder early on, which was big because the Jets always give up a lot of rushing yards to the quarterback. But after that, they only gave up two rushing yards on three carries to Deshaun Watson, which was a great, great alternate scheme that they did, whatever they did to contain him better because they had no contain last week against Josh Allen. They showed it against Deshaun Watson and basically shot him out. When Lamar Miller did play, he had three carries for eight yards, but Alfred Blue had nine carries for six yards. Their running backs in this game got 14 yards in the entire game. From the running back position, 14 yards of rushing. That was great defense from the New York Jets. They've been stout against the run a bit this year. This is a pretty good defense. They don't get a lot of credit because the Jets don't win a ton of games. This team isn't very good, especially offensively. We're definitely not winning shootouts, but this defense, I mean, they can play pretty well against good receivers. You know, exception DeAndre Hopkins and a few others this year. They can play the running game pretty well. They can get some pressure on the quarterbacks. They've got some playmakers out there. A pretty complicated style of defense where they're moving a lot of parts and pieces. And they've had injuries out there as well. So credit to the defense on this one, especially that defensive line. Top of the list in tackles, you're seeing guys like Henry Anderson. Steve McClendon had four tackles. Avery Williamson had four. Neville Hewitt had four tackles. Uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, the guy that splits the other middle, the same middle linebacker's position with Neville Hewitt, he had a, uh, a tackle. Honestly, when you watch the game, again, I didn't see any drop-off between Neville Hewitt and Kevin Pierre-Lewis and what Darren Lee did. I honestly truly believe that what we're getting out of Neville Hewitt and Pierre-Lewis is probably better than what we've seen from Lee on a consistent basis. Sure, he's had a couple flashy games where he had big interceptions, a couple games like that throughout his career, And that's it. Other than that, quiet, doesn't play with an edge. You're seeing Neville Hewitt meet running backs in the hole at the line of scrimmage, getting up there, hitting them with his shoulder at the line of scrimmage. Darren Lee doesn't do that. You're seeing Kevin Pierre Lewis play pretty good coverage for a middle linebacker position. I mean, everyone raves about how Darren Lee's pretty good at coverage. He's all right, I'll give him that. But he's a linebacker and he's got to play a little bit tougher in the run game. And across the field, he's got to use the speed a little bit more. He's got to get to the quarterback more frequently. And Pierre Lewis and Neville Hewitt, they've played basically just as well as Darren Lee will have. And I honestly just shows you that Lee doesn't have to be there, and he definitely shouldn't be your defensive captain. Your leading tackler in this game was Trumaine Johnson. He had five tackles. big part of that, DeAndre Hopkins had all of the freaking catches. And it wasn't just Trumaine Johnson guarding him. It was a split between him, Moe Claiborne. They were moving Hopkins from the left to the right, moving him inside. All sorts of different looks finding ways just to get him open because he's really their big threat. When you look at the passing game, what they were able to do, the Houston Texans, DeAndre Hopkins had those 10 catches for 170 yards. Their second-best receiver, it's not DeAndre Carter, like I said before. It is Demarius Thomas. He had six catches for 59 yards. Solid game from him. He was moved around as well. And then DeAndre Carter, he had two catches for 55 yards. One of those was a 50-yarder. Big play. And if you take away those three receivers... DeAndre Hopkins, Demarius Thomas, and basically that one catch by Carter. The rest of the team only had 10 yards receiving. Hopkins and Thomas had 16 of the 22 catches by the Texans. They had 229 of the 294 receiving yards for the Texans, and if you add that that Carter two catches in there, that's 284 of the 294 yards. Neville Hewitt, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, they weren't giving up A bunch of catches to the running backs, to the tight ends, to the slot receivers, anything like that. It was fine coverage. It wasn't exploited at all. Everybody knew Darren Lee wasn't going to play. He's suspended. Wouldn't you think he'd go after a young guy like Neville Hewitt? An unknown? They weren't able to do it. This guy has not been exploited. I mean, this is a game the Texans had to win, and they almost didn't. If they could do it, they would do it, if they saw it. Bill O'Brien's a good coach. I give him more credit than that. I think that... uh, I think the coverage is good. You're seeing three players. The Jets have to shore that up a little bit. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. You had a split. Daryl Roberts started safety. I mentioned before. Shouldn't have been there. They eventually put in Rontez Miles. He probably shouldn't be there either. Neither one of them is a very good free safety. Terrence Brooks is never given the opportunity to play free safety for the Jets. He's just like a, a sort of, like, nickel safety. Comes in and he probably backs up Jamal Adams, but Jamal Adams basically misses no plays. He had four tackles in this one, he had that sack. He wasn't as electric and dynamic as he usually is, but that's because the running game wasn't getting to his level and because they only completed 22 passes. This wasn't a game where the offense was on the field for the Texans all game and Jamal Adams was getting given the opportunity to just dial it up and go crazy. I mean, this defense gave up less than 300 yards. They weren't asked to do too much. They got the sacks they needed. They got off the field on third downs. They played a pretty good game. They just couldn't stop mostly DeAndre Hopkins, and a couple times Demarius Thomas. And that was the extent of it. So, you know, overall, solid game from the defense. Uh, You can't give them too much grief for this one. This is a a much better team than the Jets on paper especially. Coming into this game, it's one of the AFC's best. Jets weren't expected to win this one. You saw some pretty good games. Avery Williamson was pretty quiet in this one. Um, Buster Screen, Moe Claiborne, they had a few tackles apiece. Mike Pinnell's been playing a bit of nose tackle. Uh, McClendon had a better game this week, but they've been kind of going back and forth. Sometimes it's Pinnell, sometimes it's McClendon. McClendon won't be on the roster next year. Pinnell will be. So we'll see if he gets sprinkled in a little bit more as time goes on. And for the most part, that's what we got from our defense in this game. They only gave up, you know, 29 points in this one. Most of that was from Kai Fairbairn. He had, what, like 17 points himself. They only had two touchdowns in this game. The one big, long one to DeAndre Hopkins And then that crazy catch in the front of the end zone where it was like, how the heck did Hopkins catch that one? That was it. Other than that, it was the kicker. Jets were stopping him on third downs. When you go over to special teams, Jason Myers had one of his worst games of the year. He hasn't been bad at all. He was like 30 for 32, I think, last week. And, uh, you know, he didn't miss field goals in this one. But he missed his second and third extra point of the season. And I saw a stat that he's got the most missed extra points since 2015, which is probably the reason that he was available for the Jets to begin with. He's been good at kicking all year long. Those two points would not have changed the game. It wouldn't have even put us within a field goal to try to come back at the end. But throughout the game, I mean, it definitely would have put the Jets in a different position. We had the chance to tie the game with an extra point. And had we made the one before that... The second one that we missed would have been to take the lead. And it was just really frustrating to be like, ah, shoot, we could be winning this game or we could be tied in this game right now, but we're not because of missed extra points. So not a great game from Jason Myers. I'm not going to change my tune on him. I still think he's played great, great kicker all year. There's not a single kicker in the entire league that has great week after great week. Even Steven Gostkowski had a terrible game last week and the Patriots lose by one. He missed an extra point. He missed a field goal. Patriots lose by a point. doesn't matter who it is. Eventually, your kicker, it's kind of a thankless job, you know. When you make the kick, it's like, well, he was supposed to make the kick, especially the extra points. Like, well, that's what he's paid to do. He's got to do it. When you miss it, it's like, oh, my God, we got to get rid of this guy. He's crazy. This is the worst. We need to find somebody who can make those kicks. Nobody's 100%. Nobody. Nobody will ever be 100%. And he missed some of this one. Overall, his body work for this season, this 2018 season, has been strong enough to make him probably a pro bowler and definitely give him a chance to come back next year if the Jets are willing to give him an extension. I think they should. In the return game, you had Andre Roberts. He had a couple decent punt returns. He had two that totaled 22 yards. One was a 12-yarder, one was 10. I think, honestly, when you're returning punts, anything more than 7, 8 yards is pretty good. You don't expect to get too many yards on a punt return. Sure, you'd love to break one, but just catching it, not getting tackled right there, moving up 5, 10 yards, basically getting your team an extra first down or so, it's great. And he had two solid returns. Nothing right home about, nothing crazy, but it was solid kick returning he had a 30-yard return a couple decent ones he didn't break a big one but he got past the 25 a few times and it was you know a modest to slightly above average return game for for him he was better in the receiving game because he had that touchdown but the other side of it on the kicking game when the Jets are punting Trenton Cannon was an awesome gunner in this game I mean, this guy had two really nice tackles on punts by Locke Edwards where Trenton Cannon got down the field. And and so many times this year, Trenton Cannon has not made the play, especially on special teams. You know, he's gotten down there when the ball should have been stopped at the one-yard line, and he's gone into the end zone with it twice already this year. He hasn't been great in the gunning game. He gets down there, but he never makes the tackle. This week he made two. And it was awesome to see because he's a guy that I think a big part of his career with the New York Jets is going to start through special teams if he can do it. And getting down there, making those two plays definitely helps his case. Still, overall, he's been very bad at it. Um, I don't think that you can watch that one game and be like, oh, he's good now. He isn't. He still has a ton of issues. But seeing that is definitely a step in the right direction and a great game from him. And then your guy, Locke Edwards, he punted away pretty well in this game. The guy punted four times, 197 yards, so he's basically averaging 50 yards per punt. Which is strong. His longest was 54, so he didn't have any shanks. Pretty consistent in there, and he had two inside the 20. I'm honestly going to give Locke Edwards the uh, the game ball in this one because, you know, I, I could give it to Trenton Cannon for his gunning because I think it, it was extremely impressive, but I'm not going to give it to him yet because he hasn't shown me enough on special teams to be given me <laughs> special teams player of the game. Trenton Cannon, come on, this is a guy that's the biggest liability in the entire NFL on special teams. Um, Jason Myers misses the extra points; he can't get it. Andre Roberts. His returns were modest, solid, good, but uh, it's just not enough. Lock Edwards, when you get two inside the 20, you're punting for 50 yards a punt. They only had 17 yards of punt return yards, so they're only averaging, what, like four yards a return, which is, you know, lower than that 7, 8, 9 average I was saying before. So even the coverage team did pretty well. Pretty good game from Lock Edwards. Way to go, bud. I believe that's actually Locke Edwards' first time winning Special Teams Player of the Game because the years we've gotten from Andre Roberts and Jason Myers have been so good. Basically, just been going back and forth between those guys. And there's been a few times where it's like, I kind of want to give it to Locke because he's playing pretty well, but he's just not done enough. This time, nobody else did enough and he did, so he wins it. When you go to the Offensive Player of the Game, it of course has to be Sam Darnold. This guy is playing great football right now, the best we've seen from the quarterback position for the Jets with any sort of inspirational hope. Tied to it in some time. I mean, some time. He's playing great. Like I said, he had the best quarterback rating, total QBR, in the entire NFL this week. I mean, not only was he the best quarterback on the Jets and in this game, in the entire NFL this week, how could he not be player of the game? No turnovers. I mean, he brought us down there to score in the fourth quarter very late. Could have potentially been a game-winning drive. It wasn't. Um, You know, should we get more weapons and things next year? I think he would have had a game-winning drive the second chance that he had doing it at the very end of the game. Great game from Sam Darnold. We're going to see him matched up against one of the league's best. If not the league's best, it's been a slow team for the Green Bay Packers. They've not been very good. This is a game that he can win. When you compare him to Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be a very fun game for a lot of people. you know, you got Aaron Rodgers on one side and the young kid on the other. People have compared the two a little bit because they both move well in the pocket, improvise, throw on the run well, very creative with the ball, and it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be some interesting conversations coming up if Sam Darnold can close the year off as strong as he has. You know, you got a game against the Packers, then you close out against the Patriots. We'll see what he can, uh, what kind of noise he can stir up going into the offseason, give us a little bit more fun waiting before uh, he goes at it again. And then when you're talking about the defensive side of the ball, your defensive player of the game is Henry Anderson. How could it not be when you get three sacks? Henry Anderson's a guy that started the year pretty strong, was getting sacks, and it was like, all right, this is more production than we were seeing from Muhammad Wilkerson and Kony Ealy. I like what I'm seeing. He kind of tapered off a little bit. Then in the recent weeks, those blocked kicks and coming back with a couple other plays on defense. And then this game with three sacks, it's like, all right, he's back. He's this guy's on fire again. And he started the year strong. He's ending the year strong. I think it's very, very likely the Jets are going to look at bringing him back again next year. He's a guy that had always been good in the NFL. He just was always injured and didn't have an opportunity to play on the field enough. And now, playing with the Jets and their training staff, they're known for having one of the best medical training staffs in the NFL. He's playing healthy, and there's a very good chance that he's going to want to come back, maybe play for a team-friendly deal, and sure up that other side. It's probably not going to be Nathan Shepard, we've learned so far. Henry Anderson looks like a guy that can do the job for us. So props to him, winning defensive player of the game, I believe for him for the first time. Really, really good week from the Jets. As good as you can ask for in a loss. Honestly, I truly believe that. So, doing a quick preview of next week's game, the New York Jets will be playing against the Green Bay Packers at home. The Jets are minus 2.5 in this game. They're actually favored to win. Holy moly, the Jets are favored to beat Aaron Rodgers, and that's because of what they've been doing these last couple weeks, seeing Sam Darnold play like this, seeing the defense be stout and play the Texans in a game like this. I mean, the Packers have been bad this year. They don't have anything going on. They've got, like, three interceptions or so as a team. They've got, I think, six defensive players on IR. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have very many weapons. Their running game's not going great. Their coach was fired. That team is a dumpster fire. And sure, Aaron Rodgers is great. We're going to have to watch out for him. He moves well in the pocket and extends plays and finds guys downfield time and time again. He's going to do it to us. He's probably going to drive us crazy on a few plays. He loves to get it to Devontae Adams, a big, tall receiver, number 17, who the Jets will hopefully match up well with. I think Mo Claiborne's got pretty long arms. They should be able to do a number to him. Aside from that, Randall Cobb's an okay player. Jimmy Graham's been very, very quiet for them this year. And then their other receivers are these unknown guys that sure, they're having okay seasons for the Packers, but Aaron Rodgers always makes his receivers look pretty good. What receiver has he had over there that didn't look at least somewhat okay? So we're not going to give too much credit to them, actually, and we're going to say that our defensive backs can handle this assignment. We should be able to stop their tight end between Jamal Adams and what our linebackers have been doing. We should be able to match up pretty well on Devontae Adams because, while he is a pretty good number one and we had trouble with uh, DeAndre Hopkins, he's not quite that good, and he's a guy that you should be able to slow down. If you can keep Aaron Rodgers from running, which is something that I don't think he really wants to do at this point in the season when the playoffs are out of reach, he's not going to want to get hit for no reason. He's going to want to play good football, stand back there, and throw the ball. We're going to watch out for that. Their running game is not going to be anything that's going to, unless we're going real heavy on pass defense, that running game is not going to gouge us because we have a more stout run defense than they have run offense. So I honestly think the Jets can win this game, and I think there's a reason that they're favored right now. They're playing at home. They're playing well at home. Sam Darnold's found lightning in a bottle. Defense is playing strong. Hopefully we'll get some guys that are injured back. Quincy Nunma, it'd be nice to have him back on the field. At this point, there's huge question marks around him and his health. He can't be injured again, time and time again. I mean, are you going to re-sign this guy? you got to have a huge, huge look at him and say, you know, what are we going to get from you? How many games? Maybe put some kickers in that contract, say. We'll sign you for $3 million. But if you play, you know, 10 games, you'll get an extra two. If you play 14 to 16 games, you'll get an extra three. Something like that to just uh, hedge your bet a little bit and keep you from making a big mistake. But overall, this Packers defense has not been strong. Uh, there's really not much going on over there. They have a interim head coach. The team is playing uninspired. They're going to be playing away. This could be another fun game, and I would really like to see Sam Darnold exploit that defense, get moving, and keep the hot hand going. Because if he can play hot for one more week and really have a big thing going in the into Foxborough to play the Patriots for the last week of the season. I mean, this could all end in epic fashion. I know that they're not going to make the playoffs, but imagine just, like, keeping the fire going. Everyone's all high on Sam. yeah, here we go. We go into New England. We beat the freaking Patriots somehow because we're just playing really weirdly good all of a sudden. Or we just just playing really well and just knock Tom Brady around stuff like that. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, holy shoot, 2019 is going to be a much different year for this New York Jets team when they sure up a couple pieces and come back in year two with Sam Darnold. That's what I'm looking forward to. There's a ton to look forward to with this New York Jets team. We're seeing it. There was a point in this season where it was looking very bleak, and nobody was excited, and it was like, well, this guy's got to go, this guy's got to go, but you know what? Sam Darnold's come back. He's resurged all of us. We are revitalized. It feels great, and this New York Jets team is on its way to being good. It's just not going to happen until next year, and I've said that before, but I mean it this time. It's coming. This New York Jets team is a coming. And they're probably coming for that AFC title soon. You better watch out. I appreciate everybody for joining me. Uh, that's all I got for this episode. If you're looking for more bonus coverage, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. I would appreciate if you could rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff for this podcast. It does a lot in terms of uh, you know boosting the brand and, and getting some recognition for what we're doing here. This podcast is available on Gang Green Nation as well. Check out that site. they got a lot of great articles, great people contributing over there. Got another podcast under the Gang Green Nation podcast done by Michael Nania, and that one's awesome, so check that out. That guy's got great stats. He's also worth a follow on Twitter, and, and yeah, really appreciate it. So thank you for joining me. Until next week, I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life.